so as I was talking about the four foundations of mindfulness and that it's this this really logical progression of instructions and when we were, I asked, the, offered the instruction to um, bring to mind something you're grateful for. What came up for me is, and I think it was because I was thinking about it earlier today, this, this tremendous gratitude for the pragmatic nature of these teachings that they're so useful in my life on a daily basis for being at ease. I mean, they're 2,600 years old, but they can apply to, you know, 21st century Studio City. Or, or wherever you are, they can be applied in our life today. And I'm really incredibly grateful for that because they've had such an, a huge transformational impact on my life that, um, you know, I, I don't want to say I don't know where I'd be without them, but I'm truly grateful that they're here. And that, um, so when, that's what I try and talk about, I focus on, when I offer these teachings each week is the pragmatic aspect of the teachings, how, how we can take this old shit and make it real for right here, right now. And so that's, that's what I want to do. And tonight, um, I was, I was thinking this week, uh, of a, a few things. Um, I think I, I wrote something about this, about holding two things at once. Um, one of my teachers, James Barris, um, I'm working through his Awakening Joy class, and so I'm with him a lot. And um, you're in the Awakening Joy class, too. And he talks about, um, I don't know what brought it up, but he was talking about, oh, being with the difficulties of life. When people ask him how he's doing, he answers in a twofold way. He says, I am really well, if that's, you know, he'll answer personally saying things are really good, blah, blah, blah things are not so good, whatever. And then he says, and my heart is breaking for the world. My heart is breaking because of what's happening. You know, another shooting last week, um, whatever, all the, all the, uh, the stuff that's going on, you know, the immigration, all the children locked in prisons and, you know, at Adelanto and all the other detention centers. And he's very much into uh, the environment, so his heart is breaking for the, you know, the, the world, the actual world uh, itself because of all the, the destruction and the, the changes that are happening. So we can hold both of those things. There's no either or. And I was also talking to a friend of mine um, earlier today. Her mom passed away a few weeks ago, and she was talking about being in bed last night and actually, as she was right before she was falling asleep, she had this, she said, you know, I feel really good. And she had a sense of well-being. And immediately what happened is the guilt. You shouldn't be feeling okay. Your mom just died. And we get into this place of um, judging our experience. And you know, because of, we judge it because of what we've been taught or things we've read or things we've heard or whatever, but we have this, this, this uh, running narrative of what things are supposed to be like. And when we're not matching that, we create this extra level of discomfort, this judging, this critical mind. And I don't know if anybody else ever has that. I know um, I have that <laughs> sometimes. It's, no, you're not supposed to feel this way. When in reality, we can't help what the emotions are that arise. 
you know, we cannot help it. That's why the instruction is during meditation. It's not your fault. You can't do this wrong. What arises, arises. Stay with it, you know? Stay with it. Um, that's what the invitation is, and that's what the Buddha teaches us. Learn to be with what your experience is, not what you want it to be, not what you think it should be. You know, and Jordan and I were having a conversation last night, and I said, what should I teach, Jordan? <laughs> and he said, you know, he talked about awareness, and which reminded me of um, this teaching from uh, a student of Ruth Dennison that I heard a few years ago about, you know, and I've offered this before, like when you hear a sound, when we hear sounds or any kind of experience, our mind goes out to grasp them because we're in this grasping place. You know, we like, oh, the fire engines, you know, instead of it's a sound, let sound be sound, we immediately, I immediately went, oh, it's a fire engine. And then I went to, I don't know if I've ever heard a fire engine in all the months I've been teaching here. Gee. And so it, it immediately kicks into the story, into this narrative. Whereas all we need to, that's the mind taking us out of the present moment. Whereas in reality, all we have to do is let sound be sound. Let sound be sound. We just receive. We just receive whatever's, whatever's coming up. And so that was a convoluted path to get me to what I wanted to talk about tonight, which is this teaching on this eight worldly winds, if you know about that, because that's receiving what happens to us. Are you all, are, some of you are familiar with that teaching. Some of you, anybody not? Yeah, a couple of, yeah, that's all right. It's like, they're also known as the eight vicissitudes, if, that, if that's easy <laughs> to remember. Um, but there's a sutta, and it talks about that these arise for all beings. These arise for all beings. And uninstructed worldlings, which is the lovely phrase for people who are not actually practicing mindfulness, the uninstructed worldlings don't see or question what's happening. They are lost in it. They don't reflect. They're consumed by the one, and they chase the other. And what the eight worldly winds are, are these pairs of, uh, of what we would sometimes, one of which is what we would maybe uh, deem what we want, and the other one is what we don't want. And they are um, gain and loss, praise and blame, pleasure and pain, and fame and ill repute. Or um, Tan Jeff, I like his... his um, Translation is disgrace, which is much, people, I don't know anybody who talks about ill repute. Um, disgrace, I think, kind of fits that too. So there are these pairs of, of opposites because Buddhism is, is, is rife with, with two sides. And the Buddha always teaches us <laughs> to find this middle way. So if we're not paying attention and we get hit with praise, there may be a tendency to think, you know, take it on. The ego says, yeah, I'm hot shit. And then the flip side of that, if you get blamed, then we can get into the place of I'm a piece of shit, the other kind of shit. So it's like, you know, there's, uh, there's this, this place of yeah and no. And we want the pleasant. We want the praise. We want the gain. We want the pleasure. We want the fame. And we don't want the other side of it. And so what we do is when we, we, we spend our time chasing the one and pushing away the other. That's what the Buddha said. He is consumed by it. 
He chases the one and repels the other. But the teaching is, this stuff happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. We can sit here for the next 20 years, and we're going to experience praise, and we're going to experience blame. We're going to experience pleasure, and we're going to experience pain. It just happens. It's, 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 it's the way of the world. And for those, the Buddha says, for those who are trained and instructed, they see it, they reflect on it, and they don't, um, they don't demean their whole being. They have no expectations, and they don't deny. They say, right now, well, he says, they do not chase or rebel. They don't chase the one or push away the other. It's like, right now, it's like this. Right now, it's like this. This is what's going on. Um, we abandon welcoming and rebelling. You know, we abandon clinging and rebelling. It's like, you know what? Right now, it's like this. There's, a, there's, a, there's an aspect to reflecting on it. So if we are blamed for something instead of just saying, ah, that's just the way it is, we do have some awareness and reflection and saying, did I do something? You know, did I cause harm? Did I do something um, uh, hopefully unintentional? to cause uh, suffering of others. We, we have those types of um, reflections and discernment and take absolute uh, accountability for our actions, but there's no uh, extra level of judgment that we bring to ourselves, what the, what the teaching is like the second dart. You know, there's the pain that we experience from the blame Perhaps there is some, some um, sadness or whatever experience we have around it, but we don't layer on. You know, like I was talking about before, it's like um, this, this judging of ourselves for it. It's like, oh, I'm so awful, and if only, and what if we get into those places, and, and we learn to let that stuff go. We learn to let that stuff go. So... Um, you know, what we want to do is to get to a place of equanimity, this place of balance. And that's what these, these eight worldly winds are a teaching, a teaching about equanimity. This place of being at ease with whatever arises. Not saying, yes, I prefer that. We have no preference. It's just like, you know what, this is, this is just what happens to all beings. This is what happens to all beings. And a vicissitude, I said they are also called a vicissitude. The vicissitude just means a change of fortune or circumstance. A change of fortune or circumstance. It's just a change. And everything changes. Everything changes. So, so the first one is um, the gain and loss. You know, and there's a saying, uh, there's a Tibetan saying that says, accept what comes, let go of what leaves. Accept what comes, let go of what leaves. It sounds really easy, but it's not, well, it's simple. It's simple, but it's not necessarily easy, especially if there's gain. Because we get caught up in fear, we get caught up in what if. If this goes away, what happens? We get caught up in ego. You know, I have this because I'm this. Because it means it means something. We impute meaning to all these things. Um, and we, we oftentimes equate gain with good and loss with bad. You know? We think if 
I, if I lose this, I will never survive if I lose this. Anybody have, yeah, if, if this happens, then. And it's, and, and, and there's fear. There's fear that arises around that. We get caught up in craving. You know, I want this. Get caught up in greed. The world is lost in greed right now. You know, how many billions are enough? And you hear those people saying, it's not enough. How many billions are enough? There's never enough. And, and we, we just see the greed that's just kind of destroying uh, so much of, of the world we live in. I don't know why the fire festival popped into my head, but you know, that was, that was if you know that, that was that, um, uh, uh, that very high end festival that was supposed to happen in the Bahamas a couple of years ago. And it was all greed and craving and wanting driven. And it was, it ended up being a terrible disaster. And the people, what happens is, and if we're at this place of equanimity, we say, well, you know what? Loss happens. But if we're not in that place of equanimity, if we're in that place of needing to hold on to things, we, we go into denial about loss and go into this place of blame. Well, if you hadn't have done that and if you hadn't have done that, then it would be okay. Or we go into this place of self-blame and self-loathing, you know, depending on our conditioning and, and kind of how we end up in the world, we, 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 we can't just let things be the way they are. We need to fight it. And if, if, you, if, you have ever, if you've ever stubbed your or hit your elbow, you know, what do you, you recognize? What is the first thing you do? You, you fight against it. But if you let go of that fighting and just allow the experience to be what it is, it's, it's a much different experience. It might be painful. But it's a different experience from if you're fighting with reality. And you will never, ever win a fist fight with reality. Ever. Reality always wins. So when we fight it, we're only intensifying that um, discomfort. We intensify the whatever it is we're going through. So, um, you know, around this, there's this practice of... of um, Remembering that, and th there's a there's a way to work with this, and, and one of that is the the five remembrances. If you're familiar with those, recognizing that we are all of the nature to grow old, we are all of the nature to get sick, we're all of the nature to die. Everything we have will be taken from us. All we have are our actions. So being aware of that at the outset really really saves a lot. Saves a lot of stress instead of holding on. And then there's also the practice of renunciation. Recognizing that holding on is more painful than letting go. Holding on is much more painful than letting go. So well, a good reflection around this is to what ask yourself, what do you think you cannot lose? What do you think? It's like, I can't, this is something I can't lose. Because you'll lose it at some point, you'll lose it. It can be stuff. It can be a relationship. It can be, you know, what people think of you. But that kind of moves into the, another one of these. But so reflect for yourself. What, can, what is it you can never, ever let go of? And know that it will go. Know that it will go at some point. 
or you will go first because <laughs> you never know. You never know. So, um, and uh, this is the question I always ask. So if you gain something that you really want, will you live happily ever after? Probably not. Probably not. So just to have those reflections. Any questions about those, that pair? So the next one is um, that I have here is fame and disgrace. Fame and disgrace. And, um, you know, we all have, well, we all allegedly will have 15 minutes of fame. But it's, you know, thinking, um, what are people saying about you? You know, what are people saying about you? And we live in a culture where when people get famous, there's a tendency to want to shoot them down. It's like, you're just going as high as you're going to go, and now we're going to make sure we bring you back down to size. It's a really interesting phenomenon to see people. And I, you know, I kind of find myself doing that with like sports teams. Okay, you won the world championship. Now it's their turn, so I'm going to root against you. And it's just like it's a little nothing thing. But it's interesting how the minds, our minds work. And just know that there's always, um, you can just be sit. like I said, we can just sit here for the next 20 years and we'll be famous for that group of people sitting in that circle for 20 years. And then they're going to throw some shade at us, guaranteed. And all we're doing is sitting here twiddling our thumbs. We don't have to do a thing, but it will, it will just show up. Um, when I was, um, when I was uh, uh, in doing the year to live practice, which is a practice where you spend a year living as though it were um, the, the, your last year, it's quite an extraordinary spiritual practice. But I, I think about that and people really um, um, get caught up in this thing. They need to achieve some kind of thing Whatever it is, it's different for everybody. What The importance of particular things are different for everyone, but they are so fearful of dying without having achieved whatever it is, whatever it is. And to see how you might be caught in the grip of that and, and the fear of letting or the idea of that going away, it can be so painful and can, can cause so much suffering. So to recognize that even if you achieve something, it's fleeting because everything passes, you know, everything is impermanent, everything changes. So, and then also recognizing that, um, that this, this disgrace or ill repute, it's just, it's just the, the pendulum swinging the other way. If you don't put it on and own it and walk around going, I am this, if you don't take birth as that, then it really can't hurt you. It can't hurt you. And we get caught, when we get caught up in this praise, or excuse me, this fame and disgrace, we get caught up in this, this striving, this craving, this, this wanting. How many people, we live in LA, <laughs> there's a lot of this in this town. You know, this chasing of fame, or 15 minutes or 20 minutes of fame, maybe now five minutes of fame. Social media. It's going to go viral. You got to capture something that's going to go viral, you know, so you can have your moment in the sun. It's, but what does that bring ultimately? It's all external. It's all external. There's no internal 
It doesn't touch anything internal, which is actually where all the action is. This internal experience is what we're cultivating, this experience of well-being and this, this ease with whatever is arising, whatever is arising. So what are people saying about you? That's a question I have. Uh, and please feel free to jump in with any questions as we move through this or any comments. The next one, I use this one all the time, praise and blame. Praise and blame. Because I've had, you know, so many experiences that it's just like, I'm just sitting here. And the first time I gave a Dharma talk, or I was sharing a Dharma talk with someone, somebody got up in the middle of the talk and left and put his hand in the Donna bowl and took money out of it and left. It's like he was taking his Donna back. I didn't see it. Other people told me. And then other people came up and said, that was really nice. I really like that. And so it's like, I'm just, we're just showing up. We're just showing up. Praise and blame. You know, I, um, I, I think I learned this lesson maybe 25 years ago. I was working for this company, and I was on a team that was a, a national team. So there were people all over the country, and our boss was back east. And I think there were about 15. No, there were about 24 of us. And he got some like some gift certificates for like um, places that um, um, you, uh, national places like restaurants or Sears or. Um, places like that, and uh, welcome. Yeah, he got, some, uh, um, he got some gift certificates so that when someone received, he got an email uh, from somebody we were supporting that said, oh, Mary did a great job or whatever it was, he'd send us this little you know, gift certificate for like Sears or the warehouse back when the warehouse was a thing or, you know, something like that. And it was, it was just a token of gratitude. And he said, I was talking to one day, he said, people were complaining about the gift certificates, that they didn't like the stuff he chose to give them. And it's like, you just can't win. You know, you can't win. So if you become tied to winning that game, you're not going to win. You are going to fall over at some point or the other. So just recognize that praise and blame is going to happen. Praise and blame is going to happen. It's, it's a real teaching in humility. You know, because sometimes the blame, you know, you get blamed for something. Can you take ownership for something that perhaps you did? I did it. I'm there. It doesn't mean anything about who you are. Because I stump, we're all humans. We all make mistakes. None of us is perfect. I can, I can say that with confidence, that no one in this room is perfect. And yet we have this sometimes get into this demeanor of perfection. And it's that if they think we did something wrong, it means X, Y, and Z. It just means that perhaps we made a mistake. And can we own it and say, yeah, I screwed up? Or what's even more painful is if we didn't do it and they blamed us anyway. What does that do? That can be extraordinarily painful. But if we recognize that, you know what? It's not personal. It doesn't mean anything about who we are. There's incredible power there. There's incredible liberation there. That's what the Buddha teaches, the nature of suffering. And his, his teaching is we suffer when we cling to this idea of who we are and what we need people to think about us. 
So praise and blame is really, it touches on that core, you know, this self-view. And I, I will be happy if you believe this about me. And if you don't believe this about me, how we strive and connive to make sure you think this about me. That's what I, I find. I used to get caught up in um, conversations with people who weren't in the room. In my mind, I would have all these conversations. And what I realized that I was doing was putting my case forth. I was telling them, I was telling them how great I was or um, how they got it wrong or I was practicing to you know, change their mind the next time I saw them about something. It's, it's really extraordinary. But getting caught up in that praise and blame and that, that, that idea of needing people to think a certain way. This is one, this one's near and dear to me. But, um, you know, I was in a situation last year where I was in this, in this, or, or this group where people were really angry and I was getting the brunt of their anger. And when I left that, um, that meeting that night, I came out and I went, it had nothing to do with me. It wasn't personal. And I was so grateful for these teachings to recognize that they needed to do what they needed to do. And it, and, it, and it wasn't pleasant, and I was able to, you know, be, be compassionate towards myself for that really unpleasant experience, but not taking it personally, not having to double down on that feeling and go, you shoulda, you shoulda, you shouldna. Just was able to let that go, which is, I'm so grateful. To, again, the pragmatic aspect of these teachings, of, of the ability to let me hold this stuff uh, without needing to make it personal. You know, and a lot of it is, a, is about our intention, how we intend to show up, you know. Uh, wise intention is one of the factors of the Eightfold Path, where we, we show up with a, this willingness to treat all beings with loving kindness and, and, and to practice letting go of things that do not serve and, and to have an intention to not cause harm and have goodwill to all beings. And sometimes we, sometimes we cause harm, but it's not our intention. We have to be aware of the impact but, but also be cognizant of our intention. So it's, it's learning to um, really trust, trust that, you know what, we, we didn't, we're okay. We're okay. Our intention is solid. We have this, this grounding of integrity, which, which the teachings offer us, the, the, the teachings on, on sila, the, um, you know, the precepts of how to show up in the world. So if we can rest on that, then, um, then these things lose their bite. At least in my experience, they, they lose their bite. It's on the other side. It's on the other side. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't know. So, and then the last one is pleasure and pain, which is, you know, that's basically the, um, the root of the second, the second foundation of mindfulness. Is our experience pleasant or is it unpleasant? If it's unpleasant, we're hardwired, you know, to, to push it away, to push it away, you know, danger, not good, need pleasant. And we're, we're hardwired to chase the, what's pleasant, you know, more of that, more of that, more of the, more of the vanilla ice cream and less of the rhubarb, you know, or whatever it is. Um, and then we find that vanilla ice cream gives us brain freeze and then we push that away because that becomes painful. So even that changes, even the pleasant changes to unpleasant. And this is really particularly 
something you can um, see during uh, meditation practice. That's something that might be pleasant. All, and you're like, oh, this is nice. And then it shifts to unpleasant. Um, I've had that experience many, many, many times. So if you're really paying attention, you can see the teaching of impermanence in your experience and during meditation. So pleasure and pain, it's, um, it's, it's the root of suffering. You know, the Buddha said we want things to be pleasant. We crave the pleasant and we, we push away the unpleasant. So to recognize that if that's a driver, and if you're caught up in that craving and aversion, you know, that greed and that hatred, craving aversion, that's, or delusion, you just don't have a clue. Um, that's, that's, that's the root of our discontent, is that wanting things to be good all the time. Wish that it were so, but it's not. And can you be okay and not fight it? Like I was saying earlier, when you fight the pain, it intensifies it. If you let it be, it just, it rolls um, the way it rolls. And so these are all teachings around equanimity, around being at ease with whatever arises. I, I offered this during the meditation. Right now, it's like this. This is the way it is right now. Or in Zen mind, beginners of mind, they, are. they offer the teaching to ask, what is this? What is this? To not have a, a preconceived idea about what things are, but to be in the moment with, what is this? What is arising right now? What is this experience? This unpleasant, what's driving that? Oh, there's fear, there's, 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 there's shame, there's guilt. I, talk, I think I talked about that last week or the week before. You know, um, how do we recognize that and then make the effort to let it go? Wise effort, seeing the thoughts we have that are not beneficial, that do not serve, and make the effort to let them go, let them go. Because it, 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 yeah, there's no martyrdom in Buddhism. You know, we don't have to carry things. We don't have to put things on. The Buddha spent some time being an aesthetic and suffering and being kind of a martyr. He said, yeah, that don't work. And I quote, um, so... Chogyam, Chogyam Trumpa said, enlightened people, talking about people with equanimity, enlightened people have completely mastered the restless and paranoid activities of the mind. They are no longer planting the karmic seeds for the future. They see the restless and paranoid activities of the mind. That's the thoughts that are not beneficial. It's like, why is this happening to me? Why are they blaming me? What's going on? Why did I lose that? Blah, blah, blah. You know, the restlessness, the fear, the worry. It's one of the hindrances, restlessness and worry. What's going to happen if? Getting caught up in all those things are drivers that, that underlie our suffering. <clears throat> Can you read that second? Sure. Uh, no longer. There are no, no longer planting karmic seeds for the future. So you're not, you're not creating this, you know, mind follows mind. You know, we're, if, if, we, if, we keep, if we keep going in that direction, we're just going to keep walking in that direction. I love, the, I love the, the, the phrase, you know, thought leads to action, leads to habit, leads to character, leads to destiny. That's your planting your karmic seeds. You know, if you, if you shift your perspective and let go of those things that create suffering, 
you're going to let go of suffering. If you continue to nurture them, then you're going to continue to grow the same crops. And the the sutta says, for the well-instructed man, there is gain, there is pleasure, there is praise, there is fame. These have all arisen. There's loss, there's pain, there's blame, there's, there's disgrace. These have all arisen. He knows it's impermanent. He does not welcome or rebel. So right now it's like this. Right now it's like this. So, um, yeah. What is this? What's the reaction? Are we creating a second and a third and a fourth level of suffering? By saying, oh, I want that. Oh, I'm not supposed to have that. I keep getting, I mean, we can just, you can go on forever in these levels of of discomfort we create for ourselves. So really stopping. You know, that's what's what's so important about this. Pause. Stop. That's what the practice is in meditation. Rein yourself in. When you find yourself going down that path, stop. Come back. What's happening right now? Stop. Come back. What's happening right now? Don't buy the story just because you've always told yourself that story. Lama Rod Owens, when he was here in February, he said, you know, our conditioning drives much of the way we think about things. Our conditioning drives our stories, how we're brought up, our families, the culture at large, the things it tells us about who we are, who are not. So that that we all have our own um, hodgepodge of conditioning. And we can't help that. That's not our fault, but we are responsible for addressing it if we're interested in, you know, not suffering. If you, if you don't care, then, you know, go for it. But if you're interested in ending this discontent of being at ease in your own skin, then really make the effort to see what's going on. So to stop... Um, you know, we're not at fault. These, these eight worldly winds are going to come and they're going to go. They're going to come and they're going to go. And so how do, you, how do you hold them? How do you show up? How do you, um, how do you navigate the winds? Yeah, let go of if only. Let go of if only. Here's another, here's another quote. Um, desirable things don't, this is from the sutta also, desirable things don't charm the mind. Undesirable things bring no resistance. And that's simply, that, that reminds me of how Tara Brock talks about how our mind is entranced. We become entranced with these, these shiny things. The, all the good side, the, play, the pleasure and the gain and the fame. If only I could be rich and famous and praised and a good person, then it would be all good. If only, you know, let go of the if onlys because it's not going to lead anywhere. So those are my thoughts on, on this stuff. Any questions or comments or um, rebuttals make sense? Yeah. How do you make the thought stop? <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you make the thought stop as 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 much as you recognize when you're in the thought and you let go of it and you come back to your experience right now. 
the thought train may always be running. I love this analogy. There's a thought train that's always going and you're watching the train and then all of a sudden you're on it and you're in Toledo, Ohio, and then you go, ooh, and you get off the train. Um, so the th my experience is the thoughts may always come, but the more I learn to let go and the more I learn to see them and uh, disentangle the stories from reality, they, they calm down and they don't have as much of a charge as they used to. And then they tend to dissipate because there's nothing for them to stick to when I'm not feeding them. When we, when we take the time to feed them, then they're going to stay strong. There's a story about um, uh, 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 good wolf, bad wolf, and which one do you feed? So this is about not feeding the bad wolf. It's about feeding the good wolf. If you know that story, I think you're, you're all nodding. So. Um, it, it's, a, it's about practice, not going, I make these thoughts stop. It's like they're going to be there. It's how you react to them. It's changing your relationship to them. Because thoughts, I still have crazy thoughts that I used to have, you know, 30 years ago, but they, they're, they don't grab me anymore. They just go by and I go, look at that. It's also realizing they're not all true. And they're not all true. Just because you think it doesn't yeah. mean it's real. Yeah. That used that, to be. Right? Yeah, that took a long time to, oh, wait. Just because it's in my mind. It doesn't mean it's a real you know the saying, your mind's a bad neighborhood, don't go in there alone? Um, I don't know if that's always true, but when you're an uninstructed worldling, it may be. <laughs> when you have some instructions and can start you know, seeing more clearly what's going on, pausing, getting, a, getting that, that break between experience and reaction. So you don't just react on your autopilot conditioning, but you have a pause and you respond with clearly with wisdom, seeing things that way. That, that helps to shift it too. And you're, you're fairly new to this, right? Yeah, so it's the, give yourself about 10 years. That's what the Dalai Lama said. Give yourself about 10 years and then check in and see where you are. <laughs>